0: This is Take Flights with Mark Whittle. Welcome to Take Flight. I'm Mark Whittle, former city worker, turned performance coach. And this is your place for inspiration and education on ways to optimize your performance and find your purpose.
1: I'm the CEO of, of, of Wolfpack Lager. What do you know about beer? Uh, well, I like it. I've had a couple of my life. Should we start a beer business? Should we start a brewery? we went, why not? but very excited about what we've done with with Hux Health. So this is a a project that started as a, a, I guess, a lockdown side hustle.
0: We must therefore go into a national lockdown.
1: The pandemic happened and you've got three bars, you run a brewery that serves 500 different outlets, start thinking, well, if this guy's popped, there's actually nothing I can do about it. There's no reason why health has to be boring and bland and inaccessible. It should be cool, it should be aspirational, it should be fun because these are things that can change your life
0: like autonomy is the freedom to steer the ship wherever you go and the mastery is to steer it as best as you possibly can
1: be courageous if it's in your mind if it's in your heart swing for the fence throw a bit of naivety work bloody hard and you know you've got as much chance as anybody of making it work we we probably have similar values yeah man if you don't have respect you, you've got nothing you can't you know and when, once you lose respect you don't get it back
0: cabin crew passengers prepare for
1: takeoff
0: Ow! welcome to the take flight podcast thanks for having me Thanks for having me. We're in this incredible space again, mate. It's been a few years since I've been here and recorded be your business partner. Chris Wilson. how did that one go? Oh, I think it got terrible feedback, that one. Fair <laughs> enough. You know, I'd probably give you the same if I did it. <laughs> in fairness, he was brilliant, mate. Some of the stories uh, surprised me, actually. He was amazing. Got quite deep actually as well, which I haven't seen that side of him before. Yeah, so. there
1: are layers to my business partner Chris Wiles, and good, good, uh, good friends. So and he can tell a good story. So oh, <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. You got to, uh, you got to meet the expectation. Live up to the hype. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, we're fueled on Huck's Nootropic as well. Feeling good, feeling focused. A couple of uh, I took I took two a double hit of Hux Nootropics. So we'll see if this is uh, if this goes well, it'd be a great advert. If it goes badly, we'll have to cut <laughs> <Yeah>. this. <laughs> so mate, easy one to start with. Where are you spending most of your time at the moment? Because you've got multiple roles, you know, including your personal life as a, as a family man, a father as well. Where are you spending most of your time? What's your week look like?
1: Um, yeah, I've, I've got two young kids, obviously retired rugby players, so that's behind me. But uh, I'm the CEO of, of, of Wolfpack Lager, the company that uh, Chris Wiles and I started when you were playing rugby at Saracens. And that takes up 90% of my time. So that's kind of what I do day to day, lead the team trying to grow our, our, our business. It's been going for six or seven years now. So we're starting to get to the point after two years of lockdown and the pandemic where the outlook's looking really positive. So really chuffed about that and, and, and still putting in a huge amount of blood, sweat and tears into what is still a startup. but very excited about what we've done with, with Hux Health. So this is a, a project that started as a, as a, I guess, a lockdown side hustle. Sitting there going, I'm heavy, heavily leveraged in beer and booze and you know, hospitality. How do you balance the books a little bit? And as an ex sportsman, I was interested in health and nutrition. And uh, it just kind of sparked an idea, which has turned into, into a
0: wonderful little business that I'm sure we'll talk more about as the conversation continues. Is that how it came about then? It was recognizing the amount of booze and that other side of the, the, the party side of life was affecting you and then trying to leverage, you said, leverage the books a little bit.
1: No, no. I think it was more looking at the books and going, well, if hospitality goes under,
0: which we were all looking oh, at at the beginning of, of, okay. of lockdown,
1: going, yeah. what does the, the future look like here? And, um, you know, I've invested all my time, energy, money into, into building Wolfpack. And I was sat in the situation for the first time in my life where I felt a little bit helpless. I was like, the, the, the future of our business and, and my future and my family's future is actually out of my control. You know, as a, as a sportsman, you can always do something to control how you perform. You know, you have good days and bad days, but over the long run, you work hard, you're passionate, you're dedicated, you get the results. Same as as business. Usually, when that pandemic happened and you've got three bars, you run a brewery that serves 500 different outlets, you start thinking, well, if this goes pop, there's actually nothing I can do about it. So the initial approach was, well, what am I interested in? What am I passionate about? And is there is there a way I can take the lessons I've learned from starting a brand like Wolfpack? and invest time and energy to starting something else.
0: That kind of balances the book, so to speak. So that really was the was the spark for for what has become Huck's Health. Amazing, mate. Yeah, so a, so a commercial balance into the books then, your more traditional Co-
1: Commercial balance, but also I've always been told you've got to, you've got to do things that you love. You'll, you'll put more care into it. You'll put more energy into it. That's why I chose beer as the first pursuit. Being rugby players, was a natural uh, progression. And then getting a little bit older, retiring from professional sports, have become much more interested in, in, in my health and how I get an extra edge out of every single day. And, and just found that in my exploration, and it's always a sample size of one's never great, but to try and find the right products that spoke to the everyday person like myself that isn't an, an international athlete anymore, well, well, what do you take? It's just so confusing. It was so bland. It was so boring. And I, and I couldn't find things that were accessible. Like I said, that was a catalyst for trying to explore what is out there in the market. What is the market missing? And how do we help people just to get better without having to have a, a
0: clinical need for, specific types of supplements or or products i'm excited to talk more about hux and wolfpack uh, both of those journeys in a moment you mentioned they're the catalyst i want to talk about you first like what separates you and what makes you different obviously the sporting background has had an impact on who you are today but what allows you when that catalyst is there to actually do something about it
1: well i guess as a as a sportsman playing rugby in South Africa you grow up and you you know you want to play i guess it's probably similar to pulling on a football shirt for for england here in you know, here in the uk you want to play rugby for your country and when i got the opportunity to be a professional rugby player at a young age that that was all i was focused on doing and my father was a doctor academic and he always said rugby's not a job it's a hobby you know make sure you keep an eye on what happens outside of the game so although i had this you know for the first few years of my career in south africa i was just determined to to become the best i could be as I got a bit older, you know, time catches up with you and you realize, well, actually those words that my dad used to, you know, say, you know, speak to me, actually quite prophetic and quite true. Like, what is next? So I've always been interested in businesses. I've always made sure I've surrounded myself with people that are doing interesting things in, in the business world. And, and I guess it's at a certain point with, with Wolfpack, there just came a, be, you know, there came a time where myself and Chris said, we've probably got two or three years left in our career if we're lucky. We either act now and take advantage of the network we've got, or we, the sad case of someone who goes, well, I used to be a rugby player. Please help me out. You know, And that's just not what we want it to be. So being proactive, being positive, and, and, uh, and I, I guess having a bit of courage to chuck yourself into the, into the darkness is, probably goes a long way. Your dad was a doctor, you said. My dad is a doctor, yeah. he's a doctor. Yeah, exactly. So he was always like, rugby, come on. It's not, it's not, it's not a real gig. you are proven wrong. Yeah, just, just about. I think <laughs> I was... I love being a rugby player good parts of it and bad parts of it I particularly enjoyed my career at Saracens I know you've interviewed a few of the boys that I played with good friends of mine and they always talk about the culture and culture it sounds like it can be it can be a real cliche right family environment and everyone looked after each other but at Saracens as opposed to what I'd experienced in my club in South Africa I really felt that they lived and breathed the ethos and the mantra that they put up on the walls in that club. Um, it made me care more. It made me invest more time and energy to be better. And it made me want to perform for my team. So, I mean, th- that was just a, a lifelong lesson. And it and it's sat with me and continued to sit with me as I try and, and, and build up my
0: businesses. I mean, I wasn't even part of the Saracens, but it stuck with me as well. Like the the TSPDS, which Dunk talked to me through. Jamie reiterated it as well. The shit people don't see. Like that has become a sort of fundamental mantra of mine as well. And I've introduced some people and, and my dad has as well to Sarries and going in. One of them, my cousin, who's the head coach at Wigan Warriors at the minute. So that he went in and uh, spent a day with the lads and incorporated a lot of those things into Wigan. And they won the Challenge Cup in his first year. Like the stuff that Sarri's do is, is amazing. I, I wonder, of that, what have you managed to transfer into business? And it probably helps that... Your co-founder at Wolfpack is was it Saras as well? What what have you notably transferred from a culture perspective into the business? I think for me, the thing that the thing that resonated with me was Saracens had this idea that
1: you will work harder than anybody else in our club, and then as a result, as a reward, we will treat you better than anybody else. So, as a very basic principle, we've tried to do that with our teams and our staff to say. If you work in beer and a brewery and in bars, it is hard work. It's late hours. You have to really be up for it physically and mentally. If you work hard and you put the effort in, you'll be rewarded for that. You will become part of the family. You'll be treated with the utmost respect and dignity. And also, we'll give you the upside of what, what, you know, what, what we felt like playing for Saracens, which is you'd arrive in the morning and dads would take their kids out the car and they'd spend the day in the Saracens creche at lunchtime in this big professional rugby club. You'd have kids sitting on their dad's laps having lunch. It was Little things like that that were amazing, and of course, the benefits have been uh, they've become become fable, haven't they? Saracens away trips and used to go to Oktoberfest and Verbia and all these fancy places. And it, it was really a, a, an embodiment of the culture, which was work hard, get treated well. So, I think we'd like to, we'd like to probably, you know, do, do more and bring more Saracens into our business, but it, it certainly the lessons are, are held very,
0: very high, and, and, and we aspire to live up to those. What was the approach? Was that like a You know, you often hear this like top-down approach. Was it fairly easy to buy into that given the nature of the sport is like a physical thing, right? So it's easy to show somebody that you're working hard. It's a little bit more nuanced in like business sometimes you could argue. How is it communicated? At Saracens, I guess what is beneficial is that everybody wants
1: the same thing. You've worked your life to be a professional rugby player. You've made it to the highest level. Now you want to win trophies. You want man-of-the-match awards. And you want, to, you want the big paycheck. You want the career. You want to play for the international sides. Whereas in Wolfpack, it's not quite the same. You've got varying levels of ambition in people. People at different life stages. And, and that's quite a lesson to go, well, it's not one size fits all. And again, that, that was something that we learned in our rugby team. In South Africa, very old school, kind of classic rugby environment, one size fits all. You know, you do what we say, you rock up, you front up and you go home and we don't care what you do with your social life, but this is how we run the team. Saracens were like, well, we have to make an effort to understand every single individual and understand what makes them tick. For us, I think, and for most businesses and I guess no matter how big or small it is, you've got to understand that people's goals are
0: fundamentally different and to try and tease out what those are is sometimes uh, sometimes the biggest challenge. That's interesting, mate. I suppose from, from my experience working with business owners, but then also having played sport myself, like the the difference with sport being an immediate response, right? You get feedback very quickly. You get a result at the weekend, or even you get a result from that direct action with a pass or whatever the thing is, or a kick, whatever you're doing. So that that lies very much in the external, right? You can be motivated externally to to chase that immediate feedback and that immediate response. Whereas in business, a decision that you make today might not impact anything until a year later, or it might be a month or six months or whatever, or even could be 10 years if we're talking about exiting strategies. So you almost have to shift that external drive to an internal drive. Absolutely, no, I couldn't agree more. You you
1: measured in a rugby team and a football team and a cricket team on whether you win or lose on a Saturday, whether you play well or badly on a Monday morning, you know if it's gonna be a good week or a bad week, depending on how you performed. And, and I think that comes with its own challenges because you go through these huge emotional highs and lows every single week. So every single Monday playing club rugby was, was a, you know, you start from zero. You've got to forget what happened last week. You start again. Don't rest in your laurels. And you work really hard and you build, build, build. Saturday, big performance, thousands of people. You win, euphoria, bang. Sunday evening you go, shit, Monday's coming up. Need to start again. So in business, you're right. To get that feedback takes a, a lot longer and I've quite enjoyed that, actually. I quite enjoy leaving work on a Friday, knowing that whatever I've achieved, whatever I've put into place during that week, I can pick that up on Monday. So, that, yeah, there's a, fundament, a fundamental difference there that is um, that, and it's something I've really enjoyed. And people talk about the physical hardships of, of playing rugby. I actually just found the emotional intensity of it was
0: something that after a while, when I retired, I went, wow, we were taking a lot on every single week. Interesting. It's like the only way I can relate is like when I lived in London versus moving out of London. <laughs> You're like, holy shit, <laughs> that's a lot. There's so much going on and to get some space, it sounds like almost, get some space, alleviate a little bit of pressure things on your own terms as well right as your business just just being able to zoom out you know there are times where you've got to zoom in solve the problems get into the
1: detail i think in business you've got to afford yourself the luxury of zooming out having a look at well what what does this look like in six months time in, in two years time in rugby we had someone else doing that for us and you become very institutionalized in sports I'm, this is something that me and chris wiles have spoken about a lot and i'm not sure if you mentioned it in your conversation with him but you've got guardrails you know you've got to wake up at 6 30 you get the cup by seven, you get your protein shake, you get your gym program, at nine o'clock you do this, at 10 o'clock you do that, and then you get the day off on Tuesday, you know, whatever it may be. You don't have to think for yourself. Whereas running your own business, you've got to look at every single part of it from the books to the decor to the, you know, the people you employ and figure out, well, how do I keep this thing going? You know, it's not just focusing on your role, what do you have to do every single day. As an entrepreneur, it's about, well, how do I keep this whole this whole ship heading
0: in the right direction and moving forward? How did you find that transition from essentially having things done for you, right? And having the strategy built for you and, and put in front of you and, you know, a crude way to explain it, but basically told what to do versus then having to shift to having full accountability and ownership of the business because it lived and died by you. How how do you find that transition? I, I, I loved it. Honestly, uh, I,
1: you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it varies depending on who you're talking to. Some people, you know, miss that you know the the protection of playing within a big team and and the camaraderie and the friendships and stuff obviously you miss those kind of things but the fact that I could I could actually decide what to do with my own time when to do it I I found that I found that was liberating having having weekends back you know going well actually it's it's Thursday night we're going for a few beers and a pizza rather than oh can't can't do that until maybe Saturday or maybe next week Saturday and all those bits and pieces and I found the challenge of starting again like just just absolutely like empowering you know it was really really an exciting part of of my life moving away from rugby and going okay that part of the journey is behind me what's next and I think for for, for all rugby players it's really what they do after their careers that defines them I I think than what they've done during their careers because unfortunately or fortunately depending on which way you look at it rugby players don't get paid the salaries that allow them to retire at the age of 30 and uh, you know live
0: off the spoils of their labor so to speak so was it the freedom then? Is that what you're saying? Like what allowed you to love that transition? Was it the freedom? Yeah, it was the freedom. It was the,
1: it was the ability to make my own decisions based on how I felt, what I think I should be doing and figure out where I should spend my time. I mean, it's, when I left rugby, I worked for an agency, an advertising agency for a couple of years, which was, which was a wonderful experience for me just to see how big business ran, how people ran international brands. But also more and more, I realized, well, if you're an entrepreneur, obviously, you get to choose when times are intense, when you work, when you take your foot off the gas. Uh, and that can be a poison chalice as well. As, as we all know, people think, oh, this is easy, you know, play golf every Thursday. But I, I love the ability to go, well, when it's on, it's on. I can work all day, all night for weeks on end. But if I want to take the next three days off midweek, spend time with the family, I can do that. And that, that really
0: means a hell of a lot to me. Mate, it sounds amazing. I absolutely love it. And again, when we're talking about the ability to be optimal in what we do. You've mentioned it already, like loving what you do, you know, ex rugby player, loved beer. So create a beer company. So you've got the passion there. But the thing that really drives like a chemically in our brain, but also just the, the growth as well is this idea of autonomy and mastery. And people speak about it as like, if you imagine a a ship, like autonomy is the freedom to steer the ship wherever you go. And the mastery is to steer it as best as you possibly can. And that just, that. I noticed that myself when I left the corporate world and I ran my own business now. It's, there's, there's nothing more rewarding than driving your own business and making it a success, right? It's hard when it's, it's not going well.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And, and some, I mean, let's, let's, let's take the ship analogy and, and, uh, and extend that. Uh, someone Please. said to me the other day, I'm full of ship analogies. Sometimes you're, you're in the engine room, you know, you're doing all the hard work, you don't quite know what's happening upstairs and sometimes you're on the bridge. And I think corporate businesses, well, you're probably one or the other. In startups, you have to do a bit of both. And, I, and again, I think that that is stimulating. And, and, and again, I think as, as sports people, we get this, this rush of endorphins and, and, and intensity that just comes from our job, and that gives you these, these, these real big highs. You know, I think it forces you to train, it forces you to eat well, it forces you to be competitive, and all these things that we know are good for our bodies and for our minds, it's quite dangerous when you lose that, Right. So I think, again, having stimulus in, 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 and pressure that comes with running your own business has been really good for me. And, and again, I know we'll talk, you know, not to try to bring it back to Hux on Purpose, but part of that during lockdown is, well, I'm not exercising as much as I'd like to. I'm not being stimulated. What can I do to keep my mind going, to keep motivated, to keep myself happy, you know, to keep being a good dad a good business colleague, a good friend, and all those things. And that's when I started exploring, well, what what is out there? What can I do to just give me an edge, to make me a little bit better every single day now that I'm confined to essentially what was, you know, a couple of rooms in a a two-bed flat? So, you know, I think it's so important that whatever we do, business or sport, we get pushed. We feel the pressure, you know, and there's moments of intensity and then there's moments of release and finding that balance has always got the, the, the best for me. And when I've got it wrong... Which, which I have throughout my rugby career where too loose, too many nights out, not eating correctly, don't have the diet rights. I feel unbalanced. And, and I guess the same as when you work too hard, when you're doing too much, when you're working two all-nighters in a row and then you expect to be at your best when you go to the presentation the next day. Well, it doesn't work. So harmony, I think, is a, is a big thing and it's something that I, I probably get more, you know, probably wrong more often than I get right. But certainly as a, 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 as a, as a principle, it's like I'm always trying to make sure that there's harmony in,
0: in my life. Couldn't agree more. Sounds like, quite deep, actually, that. Yeah, mate. Must be the nootropics. Yeah. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> what are those? But <laughs> I couldn't agree more. It's funny. It came up in a conversation the other day. Uh, a mentor of mine, we were talking about harmony, and it sounds like a bit of a strange word, right? But it's it's so accurate. Like For people who either A, might not have heard about it, or, or B, who are searching for that themselves in their life, like the times you do get it right, how can we find it?
1: Yeah, a, I mean, I guess it's a loaded question, right? Um, I think self-awareness is, 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 a big, is a big part of it. So everyone's different. You've got to understand what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And I think I'd say vulnerability is actually probably a big part of it. Acknowledging, you know, that, well, when I do this, I'm not at my best. And everyone's, everyone says you should be doing this to be successful. Everyone says, you know, this is the way that successful people act or this is the way they think. I think vulnerability is, well, that's actually not the way that it works for me. Acknowledging strengths and weaknesses and wanting to work on both of those. I think, you know, just being open-minded to it all is really, really important. So I think I'm getting to the stage where I know my weaknesses. You know, I think I can be I can be pretty selfish. I can be pretty demanding. I'm not a great listener, you know. And I think being aware of those things can only make me better. Being aware of my strengths actually makes me focus in on those as well because I think part of the, the balance in the journey is well you don't only focus on your weaknesses you also dial into your strengths you try and really turn those up to be to be really impactful what were the weaknesses not a good listener demanding. not a good listener. selfish okay you know I think there are times where I go well this is what I think the best route is this is the best thing for everybody this is what we're doing right so sometimes you know well you know it's sit down listen, and they probably go hand in hand those two, those two traits, listen take the feedback on board, sleep on it think about it, get advice and then if you make the decision, you make it based on information and data that has taken everyone's point of view into account, rather than, well I said this tube is going to be orange, which I did and everyone else said no well, how can it be orange, it's a thing. I said because I think orange is great and luckily, that was one of the things that turned out, I think, to be a great call. But, um, but sometimes I think if you're too single-minded,
0: uh, you certainly miss some really good information and, and, and some really good advice that is coming your way. When did you start to recognize the importance of self-awareness? Like, what, was that something that happened in your rugby career or was that post
1: Yeah, I mean, I I played rugby
0: in South Africa for a
1: long time. I played a few times for the Springboks, got exposed to some good leaders, but never led a a side after my junior career. Um, I I captained South Africa under 20 team, which was great. And then between the age of 20 and 27, I was never in a leadership position. So I didn't think about these things deeply. I I, I was quite workmanlike with my approach to the game. I went, this is rugby. And when I leave, when I drive out of the stadium at, you know, whatever it is, eight o'clock on a Saturday night, this is my social life. When I got to Saracens very quickly, I was put in, in, in charge of, of the club from a from a captaincy perspective, and it made me have to really upskill myself as a leader and ask myself the tough questions, and I got wonderful support from, from the club. Um, we had a great personal development program. A guy called David Jones was fantastic at really helping you understand some of the psychology behind leadership, behind self-awareness, how you find these things, and how you leverage them to your advantage. And, and certainly some of the philosophies of the coaching team were, were, were incredible. And, and this idea goes back to, well, you are you. Can you understand what makes you tick, what makes you special? Can you also accept that other people are different from you? You know, so trying to kind of find, find out what works for you, what works for others,
0: I think is a vital part of leadership in general. Yeah, amazing, mate. You mentioned David Jones there. Was there, was there anyone else who was critical to your development when you were stepping into that leadership role at the club? Anyone that stands out? Yeah, I mean, a, re- a really good friend of mine is Alex Anderson, who's the coach of
1: Sale. He was the head coach of Saracens at the time. You know, he just treated me with a lot of love and care. I'm one of those people that responds really well to to, uh, to an arm around the shoulder rather, rather than a kick up the pants kind of thing. And he could see when I was down when I needed it. He actually gave me positive feedback. I mean, I think the first time in my, in, in my life, and you can call it soft or whatever you want it, want it to be, and it might be a bit, but the first time in my life I received positive feedback was at Saracens. Kind of, was, I think I was going on a break after my first kind of month in the club, and I went to to Alex and Paul Gustard, who ended up coaching with England for a while and Quinn's. I said, Just wanted to get some feedback. How am I going? You know, thinking, Oh, well, I've got a week holiday, I wonder what the guys think of me going off and you know, how, how they're going to react to me. And I went, Hey, we love you, you've been brilliant for the club. We've seen what you're doing on the field, we've seen how hard you're working, seen how much um, rapport you've built with the squad in a short time. Go and enjoy your break, we're so happy. And I was like, I walked out of that and I was almost in tears. I went, I think it's the first time someone told me I'm actually good at what I, what I do. So th- those guys were, were, were massive importance.
0: Wow, mate. Alex is brilliant, isn't he? I, I used to, told you I lived in Crouch End and so did he. I used to see him quite often and now we trained in the gym together sometimes. Okay,
1: well, we, I'm sure you can tell me some stories afterwards but <laughs> yeah. huge character. Um, we didn't have characters like that in South Africa. The coach was always the boss. I mean, we used to call him coach. Yeah. You didn't call him by first names. I mean, certainly in the first week of the club, the head coach wouldn't invite you out for a beer on a Tuesday night to learn more about you. So we actually developed a, a really great fr- friendship and we're still very much friends. We've got a great mutual respect and, um, and our relationship was, was, was pretty level, actually, between player and coach, whereas I'd never experienced anything like that before. So it, it really influenced me and, and, and made me a better, not only a better rugby player, but I think, a, a, I hope, a better person as well. Mm.
0: Interesting, mate, that respect was the word that you used there. That's how, how important is that? Yeah, mate, if you don't have respect, you, you've got nothing. You can't, you know, and, and once you lose respect, you don't get it back, in my experience,
1: right? So, and that's just in, in every relationship. That's personal, business, sports. Respect is key, and, and again, that's something that Steve Borthwick used to talk about, who's got on to be incredibly successful in his first season as the coach of Leicester. They beat Saracens in the final a few months back. And Steve was a very serious character, very professional, not hugely social, but he used to speak about respect. You say, what you need to do is go out every single day and earn
0: respect from the people around you. It's like,
1: okay, fair enough. If that's something, you know, if that's something to hang your hats on, it's a pretty important thing, Right
0: and and like the mark of a good leader as well is if you're doing that people are going to imitate what you're doing as well and see the value in it right yeah, absolutely and
1: and again I mean I couldn't be as professional as Steve it's just not just not the way I'm, I'm put together so I had to understand well I'm never going to be able to to hit that standard of professionalism but what I can bring is maybe building social bonds away from the field, building a more nurturing environment, You know, making people feel like they can be vulnerable, more accepting of each other as well. So uh, I kind of went, okay, let me, let, me, let me move away from what Steve did. Let me just focus in on what I think I can do, which is build a, a, a team spirit and a, and a spirit of togetherness.
0: Yeah, brilliant, mate. But again, that's you being yourself, right? Cause yeah, yeah, to, to the best of my ability. Yeah, amazing, mate. Interested to know, like, given your level of success, you've not even mentioned, you said you were captain of Saras, but, you know, you captained them to premiership success in 2015, right? And, you know, I'll ask you in a moment what that was like, but do you think that your success in sport primed you for success in business? It depends what your metric of success is, right? If it's just winning trophies
1: or making money, then you go, well, yeah, to to a certain degree. It it certainly hasn't harmed. I, I would say in... In rugby, I look back at my career and I go, yeah, it was successful. I played professionally for twelve years. I represented my country. I managed to captain Saracens to, to, to a championship and was part of some European cups as well. But the success of that is actually the fact that I had a twelve-year career that stimulated me, and you know, I had these memories to take with me. Have the, these relationships? I had these relationships to take with me. In business, well, you know, I, I'm a long way from successful. You know, th- with these businesses that, that I'm in and that I'm part of we're only starting on the, on, on, on the journeys, you know, these, you know, rugby was a 12 year career. I'm five or six years into my business career. We've got to make these things live up to the, the, the the potential that they have really. So that's my job as a caretaker to make sure that I turn these into successes. And, and I guess part of that as well is making sure that the people that work with us and for us and come to, you know, on, 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 Wolfpack, come to our venues, drink our beer, people for Hux to take our products that we have an influence and a positive influence on their lives. We've still got a lot more work to do before I'd say, job done, let's move on to the next thing.
0: This episode is brought to you by Hux. Hux is a health company created to inspire you to find your daily edge. I've been trying Hux for the last few months and it's become my trusted health supplement of choice. And I love that its range of products can, and for me should be used every day from wake until sleep. Hux consists of high-quality, potent supplements across four categories. Their superfood blend provides you with 17 superfoods, including vitamin A, B, C, and D, and a hit of plant protein. The hydration tablets hydrate you quickly in unbelievably good flavors. Nootropics support those focus periods and long-term brain health. And finally, Hux's sleep products with award-winning ingredients like Levigin to support your recovery through deeper, more restorative sleep. I've been using superfood and hydration for the last few months and have noticed a drastic improvement in sustained energy and my sleep. In fact, having met the team, tried the products and seen the vision, I decided to become an early stage investor myself and I'm so excited to be a part of this journey. You'll be seeing loads more from Hux and I can't wait to see and hear from people being supported by the products. To get involved. Visit HuxHealth.com or at HuxHealth on all socials and use the code TF20 for 20% off all products, including their subscription. Thanks, guys. I hope you enjoy. Love that answer. But I think it's, it's interesting because, again, how do you define success? A large percentage of companies fail in their first year. You know, you're still flying. You've launched another one. So it's a pattern that emerges where people identify as a successful person. And I wondered whether because you've had success in rugby, you can almost look at yourself and your, your self-image is, is, is that of someone who is successful. You know, so then you can carry that image into the business world or because you're going into an unknown industry, does that make that challenging and, and write that off?
1: I, th- I think there's probably a few, there are few markers of people that do go on to be successful, right? Some of them, it doesn't matter what you do, who you are, you've got to work bloody hard. You know, you've got to put in the hours. No, no one got successful, no one, no one started a business and became wealthy or created something impactful by being lucky, right? So you've got to work bloody hard. I think you've got to surround yourself with brilliant people. That's something that I learned very early on is, well, you don't have all the answers. You know, even though I might think that I do sometimes. Surround yourself with people that know more than you. And I think, you know, those those two markers give you the best chance of actually forging a career and 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 making something that you, that you're proud of. You know, doing something that that people respect. I, I guess I've got this belief in myself, and I had it in rugby where I, I, I went, regardless of what my talent level was, I believe that I can outwork you. I believe I can do more. I believe in myself to get the job done. And and it probably goes hand in hand with naivety when it comes to business. Where I go, and Chris often says it like. I think naivety got us a long way in Wolfback. We went, what do you know about beer? Uh, I like it. I've had a couple of my life. Should we start a beer business? Should we start a brewery? And we went, why not? Let's crack on. Let's do it. Make it work. So we threw ourselves into the deep end. And, and, and you know, we are still, you know, some days we feel like we're sinking. Some days we're swimming. But we've got this tenacity and this belief in ourselves that, listen, if anyone's going to be able to do it, it's us. So, yeah, I guess that the never say die attitude that you get in sport, that's probably crossed over quite well.
0: Yeah, I love it, mate. There's, um, there's an interesting guy, actually, I should introduce you to him, called Mikey Taylor, ex-pro skateboarder who started St. Archer, beer brand in the, in the US. Oh, yeah, I've heard of them, yeah. Yeah, so I think they sold for like $25 million or something in the end, like incredible story. He said the same thing. He said, I think it took them eight years to turn it around. He said, had he known what it would have required, they wouldn't have started. But the naivety pushed them through. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. It allows you to
1: knock on doors, to ask questions, and, and, and to challenge the status quo. Like, why why are things done in this way? If you ask anyone in hospitality, they go, this is how you run a bar. This is how you run a brewery. And to the large part, there's huge amounts of great advice in there. And there are also some things that make me go, well, just because you've done it for the last 50 years this way, doesn't mean we have to do that that this way. It doesn't mean it's going to be relevant for the next 50. So trying to kind of shine a light on where those gaps are, where
0: we can evolve and where we can innovate is is part of the fun. Yeah, mate, amazing. One more thing around the rugby side because I really want to dive into both Wolpac and, and Hux, but interested to hear about your, because a big part again around life is decisions, right? So your decision, which we were speaking about before we clicked record to finish your career, which you had to make in the end yourself. Like, if you could just kind of tell the story, I suppose, of, of the injury, um, of that time in your career, your age, and then how you made that decision.
1: Yeah, actually like a little bit emotional thinking about it, but I was 30 and I'd, I'd just been concussed regularly for the last two years of my career started started with the hits against another one of your guests james haskell who again completely uh was when well, i was hardly innocuous but it certainly wasn't on purpose just a high tackle knocked me out got stretched off the field i'll never forget waking up and they'd st- I'm, I'm i'm super claustrophobic woke up on the field against wasps and they'd strap my head and my arms and my legs to the stretcher and there's you know it looked like oh this is taking such a long time because it's such a big injury Actually taking such a long time because I was trying my best to rattle my way off the stretcher, get people to take the thing off my head and threatening every single person around me. If you don't unstrap my head from the stretcher, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do some damage. And then I flipped the stretcher on the floor. It was a disaster because I was so claustrophobic. But it started there and I was fine for for six months. Got knocked out again and I found my recovery took a bit longer. Happened a third time and I started losing my resilience, like physical resilience, my ability to take knocks and to take hits. And I found that every single time I'd get knocked out or be concussed, the, the, the actual impact would be less severe and the symptoms would, would, would take longer. Saracens were fantastic at, at monitoring me and, and handling me. And they said, what do you want to do? I took six months off. Six months, no rugby, no contact training, just stayed kind of aerobically fit and fit in the gym came time to play my first game back, got knocked out in the first minutes of the first game I took in him. So then you start going, oh, hang on. I had my, had my son at the time and you know my first child, and I went, what does the next 20 years look like? And if you really, if you carry on going, which you can, because in concussion, or with concussion, you rely on the player describing their symptoms to the medical staff. There's no test you can do for, for concussion. And if I was honest with myself, I, I actually, my, my passion for the game started deteriorating. I was scared before games, which is something I'd never experienced. And at the end of games when I played, I was relieved rather than euphoric. So it got down to the point where I took another hit, felt groggy for a week, and I just said, en- enough's enough. I have to do the, the, the responsible thing and move away. And, and I guess that's probably you know back to your earlier question of how, have I, how did I find the transition from rugby? I, st- I really struggled the last two years of my career because of – my concussions so I guess that is something else that was really exciting when I moved away from it and I was like I'd managed to release this burden which was which was my own physical health my own brain health I was like I was able to drop that and go okay you're fine you got, got out of this let, let, let's move on so yeah emotional time but it was the right decision and I and I would make it
0: a thousand times over I'm very proud that I did thanks mate what was the toughest thing to leave behind I guess unfinished business to a
1: certain degree. You know, you think you're going to play for X amount and you think there's, there's more to do. I love being, you know, captain of the club and I love the people I play with. And we use that word a lot. We use the word love. We like we love each other. We had this big, you know, we had this the sign on the walls, ELE. And whenever someone got a bit tense and got a bit angsty, which it does, because having a good culture doesn't mean that it's all, you know, uh, it's all flowery every single day. There's always, a, you know, there's always a bit of friction. There's a bit of edge to a lot of conversations. When things got too tense, guys would go, ELE, everyone loves everyone. It would be a bit, of, you know, a, bit of a bit of a joke, a bit of a laugh. But there was some truth in that, right? So leaving behind a team of people that you loved and loved spending time with was, was difficult. But my mentality was when it's done, it's done. You, know, you can't live in the past and look back and go, well, I wish I could do. I, I, just, I felt so privileged to, to play a sport as a job for as
0: long as I did. So I just, just felt very, very, very grateful for it. Amazing, mate! Thanks for sharing that. It's 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 sad. I've got friends like Stevie Ward from Rugby League. Are you familiar with Stevie? Yeah, who, yeah, yeah, You know, really unfortunate. Again, it's that pattern of like double knocks, you know, in quick succession, which seems to have really long term effects. Our close friend Duncan, who's still playing, but has had lots. He's had lots of experience with that. Lo- loads of people, and it's you know, again, it's probably my kids that make, or my kids, i got one, my kid, that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> Officially, letting some secrets slip on the pipe on today, I like it. <laughs> Can we edit that? <laughs> <laughs> um, that it makes you think so much more about, about your health and, you know, particularly your brain health. Like, it's funny, but I was driving on the motorway the other day and I saw a, a caravan driving past and it said, on our adventure before dementia. And it's like, it's quite a funny, quippy little thing, but it's actually quite scary that that is almost what we're all heading for in some degree. It's terrifying. You you, you see guys like um,
1: in rugby, Doddy, WSC, see Ed Slater, um, recently got diagnosed with m and D. I can't describe to you how impressive that bloke is. He got diagnosed about a month ago and he's already out talking about his experience, talking about what he's learned from it and, and, uh, and knowing what's coming up. He's like, I, I listened to something the other day on a podcast of uh, a mutual friend, Jim Hamilton, and Ed was just saying, I've managed to release a lot of that baggage, which was, you know, what does 30 years look like? And I really need to do this and do this job and get this money in the bank. And he's like, he's actually found a lot of wisdom in, in such a horrendous diagnosis. So yeah, me- mental health and mental being is, you know, it's a topic of the day and, and, and rightfully so, right? I think it's so important and especially among men, especially among sportsmen, here, which is hard man, you know, aggro, who can be the toughest
0: out there. It's, 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 it's such an important thing to speak about. Yeah, thanks, I Matt. Mean, I couldn't agree more, mate. And you know, take flight this podcast and business sponsors, or has collaborated with Calm Mental Health Charity in the past many times, and I've had my own experiences with it, which actually drove me to start this in the first place. And I'd probably say, like, more than anything, that's what excites me about Hux and me being a part of the journey as well. And it's the health side, you know, from the neurotropics to the superfood blend as well, like how it does support health and. You know, from you, we've with concussion, and I know other people who have, and even my mum who's who had a brain tumor. Like all this stuff, where can we be looking for different things that support us on a daily basis to help with our health? So,
1: yeah, exactly, and that's the the you know the, the payoff line is. It's, it's, I've said it earlier on in the in, in the conversation. It's it's a daily edge, so we aren't professing for a second to say we're going to solve all these problems. What we're saying is there are ways that you can get better. There are little things you can do every single day. They're habits. There's simple things like getting the right amount of exercise, getting the right nutrition, the right stimulation, having the right motivation, surrounding yourself with good people, being social. There's also things you can do to turbocharge your nutrition, right? So are you getting your five a day? That has a huge impact on your health. Can you do something to make sure that you get a little turbocharge and a little boost to that? Are you getting enough vitamin D, magnesium, which helps you sleep, vitamin D, which has a huge range of benefits from, you know, you know I guess, everything from immunity that we've seen in, in, uh, in, in COVID just to, just to general bone health and all those kind of things. So superfoods is product number one. Well, let's, let's just give people the opportunity to solve some of those problems. Nootropics, which is about brain health, you know, it, it empowers you in, it, with products that go through the blood-brain barrier, that get into your brain, that stimulates things that are really hard to produce by just taking you know, normal nutritional supplements. So yeah, there's just there's so much value in all these things. And like I say, we don't profess to try to solve all the world's problems, but we know that if you can do one thing every single day to make yourself a little bit better, why don't you do it? You know, and we want to try to give people the tools to do that.
0: Can we talk a little bit about the birth of Hux then? Maybe it'll be interesting to hear your perspective as a founder, like where that started, the conversation, the sort of the birth of that. And I know you were a little bit to the motivation behind that earlier, but you know, who did you speak with? Damien, they have a co-founder can explain who that is as well, and then I can talk about at what point of the journey that I I spoke with you guys as well.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Well, so so long and short, I gave you the I gave you the story about what sparked the idea. My sister was working for a business in South Africa. They had a superfood blend, so I went down to see her and to speak to her about this, and I never I never really taken it. And I went, oh, let me just take this for a few weeks, speak to her about it. Went to visit her, you know, her her facility, understood a bit more about her business. Loved love what they had produced and loved what it kind of did for me. Certainly, in two weeks, probably hard to say if that is, you know, placebo or if that was really effect. But I thought, well, I came back to London and couldn't find the same formulation, the same blend. And when I went to my local Planet Organic, I was just hit by this sea of, you know, brown and paper bags and white tubes. And I thought, oh, this is a miserable experience. So I got hold of her and her, her boss and said, can, can you just send me a pallet of this stuff? I want to rebrand it. I want to make it interesting. I want to make it fun. I want to make it accessible. But can I just use your product to, you know, and see if this works in the UK? And during lockdown, it was all e-com. So the first thing I did was, okay, well, there's a manufacturer. Let's do a deal with you guys. Let's see if we can just ship over the same products. Let's try to build a brand so I spoke to friends of mine that were in branding. So, okay, well, what do you want to do? How does it stand up against the category cliches that we see? How do we make this accessible, not just to sportsmen or models or people looking for eight packs or people with clinical health problems, but to the every person? How do we make it aspirational? And then e-com, I went to another mate. I went, well, you know more about e-com than I do. You know, there, there, there's a chunk of shares for you if we make this work. So those are, the, those are the building blocks of it. Easy, right? Naivety. This will work. Well, the supply in South Africa didn't work. The e-com thing took us so long to get off the ground. The brand went through 15 evolutions. And in the process, the more I spoke about it, the more i I've skilled my, my knowledge of what these were and what I wanted the products to be, the more people got excited. So very early on in the, in the journey, I met uh, Damien Byrne, who was the global general manager for Kindbar, um, which exited for... A few, you know, a few billion pounds. Not, not that Damien made all of it. I think he's, he's got a couple billion knocking around that he hasn't told us about, but <laughs> he wanted to come on board as an investor. So Damien came on board as a, as, a, as a seed investor. And after a while, he started saying, actually, I, I think I might want to run this thing. So again, taking the lessons that I've learned from running Wolfpack and getting things wrong most of the time, I went, okay, actually, we've got Fatty, who's my co-founder on the e-com side. We've got James and Lee have helped with the branding. We've got Damien, who has a track record of scaling a global business in this kind of consumer space. Great, Well we, we've got a team. So that was, the, that was the bones of it. And then it was like, but we don't have product. <laughs> so how do we find a supply? You know, so that, that was a journey. And eventually we, we were in a very lucky position where we actually had a really experienced team passionate about what we were doing. We had a great brand, all run by experts. Not like when we started Wolfpack, which was how do you make beer? how do you raise money? We went, we know how to raise money. We know how to build a brand. We know how to scale it online and we know how supply chains work and how routes to market work and how operations work. Let's go out and see if
0: we can build some steam behind this and raise some money. Interesting. So speaking of raising money, that's when I started hearing about the brand and the idea or the concept at least. And I'd be be interested to hear about that investor process because it's such an incredible important and critical part of a business, right? Especially if you, you know, you're you e commerce or there's a product involved, uh, a tangible product, you've got to pay to have it made, right? So really fascinated to hear about in this climate, what that in- investor journey looked like. And then perhaps at some stage, pulling on your experience from raising with Wolfpack, I know that was six years ago, but the difference in climate and what you'd learned previously as well.
1: Yeah, so, uh, so like all, all startups, I mean, you usually bootstrap the first product yourself and, and that's what we did: design the brand. Uh, kind of invested on that front, sourced the packaging, all the procurement of that stuff, and 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 produced the first product, which this the Hux superfood blend. And then we had a we had a product and a great package. We had an idea and a strategy, but ultimately we didn't have a business. We, we were pre-revenue. So you ask someone, well, how do you value a business? That's what that's what everyone starting a business goes. Or how do I raise money? What do you value it at And advice that I got early on was, well, the business's value is what people are willing to pay for it, right? To be part of the journey. There's this sense of FOMO as well. It's like, well, I'm giving you this chance to get in front of this business now, before it takes off. And, and, and I think we are able to paint the picture of where we think it could go and how we think we could get there. Having people like Damien, like Fatty around that have done it before, really helped give us credibility. And what people could see because we actually had a physical product that pe- people take, they really liked. So we made sure we spoke to people that couldn't only add, you know, put cash in, but could add some strategic value as well. And people that understood the space, and understood what we were trying to do, realized that we were doing something that was different to to what the category was doing. You know, we're putting beautiful products in beautiful packaging. You know, we're telling stories that weren't about supermodels with eight packs and, like I say, professional sports people. It was about every single person looking for an edge. And that really resonated with people. And, and I guess part of that was an introduction to you. And, and, and I, I can tell even from you know, this conversation, it's probably the most time that we've spent together. Well, I understand why you're excited about this because you're that kind of person who's interested in the space and you get what we're trying to do. And we found that that resonated, that message resonated with a lot of people. And as importantly, we put a team in place that could get it done. So we said the goal and the ambition of this company is to do X is to turn this into a company that does $20 million of sales and this is how we want to do it this is our split between you know retail online and physical retail this is the marketing plan by the way we met John McManus incredibly successful marketer in his own right who came on board and said I want to invest and actually again like Damien I want to help you know so he started working for us consulting and we're still trying to see if we can get John on full time maybe listen to the podcast and I'll inspire him to say okay cool I'm in but it was that people had belief in the product and then the people as well. And that allowed us to get in front of the right people and, and, and to do to, to a good, healthy seed raise and,
0: and things are really starting to take off. Yeah, amazing, mate. And, 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 and how much time do you give to that sort of storytelling phase? Because that's really what it is, isn't it? You're asking people to buy into something that doesn't exist, buy into an idea basically and as you're saying right money flows to perceived value so that's it's a really important part of the the story right
1: yeah so you you either guess here have a a, some sort of revenue where people go wow you've done this for six months and that's what happened with Wolfpack we had some revenue that we built up we ran a bus at the Saracen Stadium and I think the first day of trading we, we sold an incredible amount of beer made a lot of money and we ran that for six months and started supplying local pubs and bars. And I think we got to about 15 or 20 bars that were supplying Wolfpack Lager. Myself and Chris were delivering after training and our other co-founder, Scott, off the back of our company, Wolfpack Cars. I'm oh, sorry, Saracen's Cars. So Saracen's VW Drive, Golf out the back, there's a keg for you. So when we went to start raising money, we said, well, we've done 70 grand with the sales. This is what we think we could do if we had X in the bank. And I guess Hux was, was different, right? Which is like here's the product. The product's brilliant. Here's the team and here's the plan. And like minded people just went, okay, yeah, we, we like this. We can get, in, get involved with this or get on board. So told the story, sold the dream, but backed up with real credible people and a really credible set of products.
0: Yeah. And I'd say, you, you know, my buy-in was, yes, the category. And there's so many different ways you can tell that story, like leaning on the the current state of the market like there's big brands out there that are doing great things right a, a very high valuation so that's exciting so timing's important and all those sorts of things but but mostly it's the team right it was you it was damo it was john our mutual friend who introduced me in the first place so it's definitely buying into to the people and i'm so excited to be a part of it
1: well that? i mean we're, we're excited to have you on board but i think you mentioned the word excited and excitement is what it's about mm-hmm. like those, those, you know, two years ago, walking into my local health store, wanting to invest in my health, it's just like, this is so bland, this is so boring, nothing's jumping out at me, like, there's nothing here that I think is going to change me, there's nothing here that I'm, that I'm desperate to try, to, to taste, and that, and that was part of the challenge, like, build a brand that is beautiful, you know, and then it was like, okay, build a brand that's honest, tell people what it does, you know, if you're going to build a sleep product, call it sleep, Tell people in the front what's in there. And make it potent. Make it powerful. Put the right stuff in there at the right dosages. There's so many things you can buy that go, this is going to change your life. Here's a superfood blend. So three grand sprinkling on top of your oats in the morning. Well, that's not going to do anything. So we're like, how do we fortify these with the right amount of vitamins? How do we get the right nutritional amounts that we can make the right claims so that we can, I guess, reassure people that we can say what it does on the tin? So all these things that we try to build into the product, I think excitement is, is something that we're really proud of and that, we, and that we love because there's no reason why health has to be boring and bland and inaccessible. It should be cool. It should be aspirational. It should be fun because these are things that can change your life. If you, if you, if you take them with the right lifestyle, with the right balance, and you've got a bit of harmony, these will help.
0: Yeah, brilliant, mate. I think it's, maybe it's our, our age we're getting a bit boring, but like discipline comes exciting at some stage in your life, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, if everything's exciting, then nothing's exciting. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you wake up every single day and you're just playing
1: golf, which I think, you know, I would love to do and John would love to do. I reckon golf becomes a bit boring after a while. If you're waking up every single day going to the Wolfpack bar at two o'clock for pints, which well, is probably great for a, for a week. Week two is going to be quite tough. So it's that balance between the grind you know, the, 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 the carrot and the stick, really. I guess some days you've got to be down in the trenches and other
0: days you can go out there and enjoy it. But absolutely, it's those inflection points that make it all worthwhile. Yeah, that, yeah. the balance between the what's consistent and then that sprinkling of variety in between.
1: Yeah, struggle's good, right? Yeah. The struggle's good, struggle's real. And, and all of our jobs and all of our lives, struggle's a big part of it. You know, life isn't a bed of roses, but it's trying to do things that inspire you, that get you out of bed and that give you those moments of clarity and those moments of, peace and and joy and that's that that's certainly what i aspire to i
0: like the i like the contrast between wolfpack and hux as well you know because let's be honest they're completely different categories and to, to you know start a lager company is fucking tough there's a lot of beer companies out there and you, you mentioned when we talked about naivety before obviously a big part of that but so that's difficult so you do have to make some noise you probably do have to present some some proof in the pudding before you get investment right beforehand and, and this st- story is a little bit different so if you've almost had the two the two polarities of that
1: yeah exactly and, and as a consumer I felt that as well where and and, and this is part of the I guess the insight is well most people aren't a I drink every single day of the week and I only go to pubs and that's my life and most people aren't. Well, I go to the gym twice a day every single day and I only eat protein I've never had a carb in my life and I'll never have a drink. Most of us have these different, you know, points in our lives where we do different things. So, most people that I know like a drink. Most people that I know also like exercising. Most people that I know also want to eat well. They have families. They, you know, there's all these different touch points in everyone's lives. It's not one or the other. So, for me, I was like, just because I own a beer company doesn't mean I can't own a health company because as a consumer, well, I'm an active consumer in, in, both, in both fields. So that's something that, that is it's, it's quite rare. People go, well, where, where did you start, Hux? Well, in the apartment. And then also we'd sneak out to the bar during lockdown and myself and Damien and Fatty would meet in this bar and have a few beers and talk about how we're going to revolutionize the health business. So, you know, sometimes it's not as black and white as like, you're a health guy, you're a hospitality guy, you're an ex Well, you know, there's bits and bits of us that are a bit of everything.
0: Yeah. I mean, nothing really is black and white, is it? I mean, I think so, so frequently with my coaching clients, that's the problem is because our brain needs to categorize things to really understand it because there's too much stimulus day to day anyway. So we have to categorize things, which means often we look at things as black and white or life and death, but most of the time it's in that gray area in between. Yeah. And there's some cornerstones, right? You know, there's
1: some, some things that you know that are fundamentally important to you being a happy person mm. or a satisfied person. I mean, maybe we we'll always talk about oh, this happiness is the end goal. I just want to be happy, happiness. Well, that's a byproduct, right? That's an external thing rather than an internal thing. If you've got the right pillars in place and these, these key values, and health is certainly one of them. I think sociability is probably one of them. You know, caring and love is probably one of them. If you've got those or those are non-negotiables, we know those things are going to make us better. How you achieve those, that's the gray area, right? And how you leverage those to to, to work best for you. Those are the gray areas. Like I think think when I get it right, my balance is right. I think going out to the pub is a great thing for me and I think it's a great thing for society because I could spend all day at home on my phone looking at Instagram or watching Netflix and not see somebody for a week, but I'd be a misery. I think socialization is important. There's a point where it becomes unhealthy likewise i think going to the gym every day twice a day there's a point where it's great if you need a boost and you need to solve a problem and you want to look good and feel good but there's also a time where it becomes all-encompassing and it can become as much of an addiction as anything right so again yeah the, the we, we live in those gray areas right and constantly trying to fine-tune what works for us is i think it's
0: quite an important part of the struggle mate it's superb i love that and like that that value set really everyone's different or they have their own unique values but like you know you're saying there probably while we're aligning right now is we we probably have similar values we we have the same sort of things at the top which is probably business and entrepreneurship and family and health like we probably match on a lot of those things which is why you you know you have friends at school and you get on with them really well when you're at school and then you meet them 10 years later and you sit down and things have just changed your values are different now and you're like fucking hell like why don't we get on as well as we used to then you have the friends that do you do still get on with and that's just because your values have changed to be the same thing and you match up still
1: yeah that and and you spoke about respect earlier that respect has remained you know Mm. like if i think about all my friends i I respect all of them there's no one there that i go oh i don't want to be seen out with that person i don't want people to think that i have a relationship with him or her people that i respect you know that i'm proud of and that 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 is probably a large degree in alignments of of values
0: you're saying about like your routine when you do have it balanced. What was your what's your day or week look like as far as like you know from socialising to gym or health? What, what what are you doing? I need to train every day.
1: I need to be be active every single day. And what does that look like? So I, I play at the moment in summer. I play two three games of tennis. I've got a peloton at home. So if I don't play tennis, I jump on the peloton twice a week, and I have some dumbbells at home that I throw around. So not to say that I'm a I'm incredibly fit or anything like that. I guess. More than train, probably the right word is to be active. If there's neither of those going on, I've got a, one of our venues, a Wolfpack venues is down in Fulham, which is about a seven, eight mile walk for me. So sometimes I just take my calls, hour and a half, and just take a long walk. So to be active in the morning is important. I think to, to, to eat well is, is absolute for me, like fundamentally, if I don't eat well, don't feel good. So I put the right things in my body. Uh, I'm an extrovert. So I need to be around people. So I want to make sure that in our businesses, I don't sit in front of my computer all day. I have moments of doing my admin, which again, I try to tick off earlier in the day. In the afternoons, I get out and either visit people for hacks or more often than not around seeing managers in our, in our bars or seeing people in our brewing business as well and interacting with customers. That's important. And then, you know, I, I guess important for me to be home and interact with the kids before they go to sleep. I and mean, that's the benefit of running your own businesses, right? Okay, well, I'm going to spend some quality time with my family. So that would probably be earlier in the week. I try to get out to try to be in the trade in the bars in the evenings, at least, two or three times a week, not necessarily for a, for a session to stay in to to get involved in the fun, but just to see what's going on. And then um, and on the weekends, it's like, I think our weekends revolve around probably two things, which is sport, still actively involved at Saracens and food, if I'm honest. So my wife's a chef, I love cooking. So we'll often have people over to our house on a Sunday a bit in South Africa, we call it a bra, which is basically just a barbecue on steroids. And we cook and drink good wine and have fun and spend time with our favorite people. And and those kind of things, you know, on top of obviously running the businesses and making sure that those are heading in the right direction. That seems like a pretty good week to me. If I have weeks where I've got an event on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, a game of golf on Thursday, I'm I'm you know terrible all over the place. And likewise, if I've got I've been finalizing our interview accounts and reports this last week, I've spent large or vast amounts of my time behind a computer also been a a bit of a a bit of a challenge so the flow that i described is probably what i'd what i'd love to do more often
0: Mm, that sounds amazing that sounds like a great week sometimes yeah yeah, sometimes when you get it right it is yeah yeah no i love that mate call it a leap of faith this the, the take flight concept came from this idea of leaping into the thing that we care about and want to create so if someone's thinking about starting something or doing something they haven't done before is there a sort of Is there advice or is there recommendations or things that you've found that work for you that you can suggest to other people?
1: I guess I'd say,
0: what happens if you don't do it? Not what happens if you do it and you get it
1: right. What happens if you don't do it? So if you've got an idea, there's something you're passionate about and it's burning away at you, why aren't you doing it? And if you don't do it now and you never do it, what impact will that have on your life? And will you always look back and go, shit, I was... 25, 35, 45, had the opportunity to do something, to try something, to be brave, to be courageous. Fuck, I wish I'd done it. You know, I I look at the opportunity cost and whenever I make a decision, I go, of course we have to think about the merits of the decision. But then also you've got to look at, if we don't do this now, what happens? So I I would say that's an important thing. It's like, is it money? Because actually... You know, money is a really important thing. It's a very serious thing. I'm not saying, oh, it's easy to get money. But if it's money, well, if you lose that money, can you get it back? Or it, do you lose your house and your family? Well, most times, no, right? What happens if you don't do it? Well, you live to regret it. So my thing is just be courageous. If it's in your mind, if it's in your heart, swing for the fence, throw a bit of naivety, work bloody hard, and, you know, you've got as much chance as anybody of making it work.
0: Love it, mate. That's amazing. Thank you. Cool. We do the same with three questions at the end of every episode. Quick fire. All right. First one is Is there one thing you've discovered or come across recently you're particularly excited about? Well, I, I guess
1: the, the, I, I'm, I'm just trying to immerse myself in health and, and find little ways that I can add to my nutrition that would make me, make me better. So I'd say I've been taking nootropics now for about for like two months. I think those have just made me more focused and clear and um,
0: excited to see where that, that takes me in my journey one habit you'd recommend all listeners to partake to drive their performance? Wake up early, get 15 minutes of sunlight every morning. Amazing, mate. And finally, if you take yourself back to a particularly difficult moment, it could be in your rugby career, it could be something you've experienced in business. Take yourself back to that moment. Imagine there's two versions of yourself. What's the key thing that separates the one who's sat opposite me now, who's had, quote unquote, the success and achieved everything that you have today? and the one who wouldn't have gone on to do those things?
1: Responsibility. You have a responsibility to be to make your own decisions. You have a responsibility to yourself to be accountable to those decisions. You can sit there, person number one goes, nothing I can do about the situation, nothing I can change. Person number two goes, I'm the only person that can change it. And ultimately, the responsibility is on me to get a result out of, the, out of a bad situation and make it better.
0: It's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you so much. Thanks, mate. I've enjoyed it. Cheers, Al. Thank yeah. you, mate. You have reached your destination. Hey, it's Mark Whittle. Thanks so much for watching or listening. It's so great to have you a part of the Take Flight movement. Subscribe to the podcast on all platforms, video and audio, to be the first to see new episodes and new conversations with the greatest minds in the world. Follow me at markwhittle underscore TF on all social platforms and visit takeflightworld.com to join our growing community of hustlers, performers and go-getters. I can't wait to see you next time. Until then, stay positive, stay motivated, and of course, take flight.